I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him as he was teaching. They asked, what kind of authority do you have for doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I have a question for you. If you tell me the answer, I'll tell you what kind of authority I have to do these things. Where did John get his authority to baptize? Did he get it from heaven or from humans? They argued amongst themselves, If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, then why didn't you believe him? But we can't say from humans because we're afraid of the crowd since everyone thinks John was a prophet. Then they replied, We don't know. Jesus also said to them, Neither will I tell you what kind of authority I have to do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. Now he came to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. No, I don't want to, he replied. But later he changed his mind and went. The father said the same thing to the other son who replied, Yes, sir, but he didn't go. Which one of these two did his father's will? They said the first one. Jesus said to them, I assure you that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering God's kingdom ahead of you. For John came to you on the righteous road, and you didn't believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. Yet even after you saw this, you didn't change your hearts and lives, and you didn't believe him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Good morning. It's so good to be back here with you all this week. As you know, um, we were gone the past two weeks in Germany, Austria, Slovakia, and Hungary. Uh, At first, we attended the Passion Play in Oberammergau, Germany, that has been offered by this small town for almost 500 years. Uh, When the, I have to check which plague, the bubonic plague moved across Europe, Uh, they pledged uh, to offer this play every 10 years if God would protect their town. And they've kept to that pledge with only two exceptions, uh, the first being during shelling in World War II, and then the second being they postponed the play in 2020 due to the COVID shutdown. Um, I have to admit I've never sat through an almost six-hour play. I also have to admit that I've never sat through an almost six-hour play delivered entirely in German. Um, so following along, reading the English translation, uh, was, it was surprisingly meaningful as we watched the play and as we listened and as we followed along. Um, I was also pretty amazed that, um, see, I think these are the characters from this year, but uh, most of these men on Ash Wednesday of play year or the year before, they begin with no shave or no haircut. And so all the men of these towns go from whatever their normal haircut is to having really long hair. And I read an article yesterday just kind of thinking about it, you know, that do they have a haircutting day at the end of the play? And actually they do. And uh, there are some men that bring razors and shave them standing there on stage at the end of the final performance um, because it's something that, that they physically commit to and, and do, um, which it would drive me nuts because as you can, I, I don't do long hair. Um, and they drive me nuts. But anyway, uh, following the play, we took a river cruise down the Danube River through Austria, Slovakia, and Hungary. We visited different cities such as Vienna and Budapest. 
as well as significantly smaller towns along the way. We visited royal palaces, churches, abbeys, and saw other cultural attractions from each area. And um, I'll be honest, I saw sights I've never anticipated seeing. And along the way, I, I realized that I needed to learn far more about the Habsburg family that was the dynasty that ruled over that part of Europe for hundreds of years. Um, it was a great trip, but it's good to be home. Um, I'd also like to, to just take a moment, and, and I know Ernie and Brad, neither are here, but just to thank them for, for filling in. Um, you know, Brad Reeves recently retired to Clovis, or actually to Texaco in January, and um, so it's just a great gift that he continues to, to offer his ministry and to be willing to fill in. Uh, so that we can be out of town and then also I know that I mean I always appreciate when Ernie Vineyard our district superintendent comes to preach um, I know you all appreciate it and I know he enjoys the opportunity and so I'm just grateful to both of them so I'd like to begin this morning by inviting you to consider our scripture that, that we've heard from the gospel of Matthew this morning um, in Matthew's gospel it comes from the latter part of, of the book so it's chapter 21 and so in it Jesus has already entered Jerusalem He's already gone to the temple and he's cleansed the temple by, you know, turning over the tables and sending out the money changers and, and doing all of that. Uh, he has left Jerusalem for the night. We know normally he went to the small town of Bethany that was about two miles outside of Jerusalem, where he often stayed in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their brother. And so the next morning has come and Jesus is returning to the city of Jerusalem. If you read ahead or read, well... Yeah, it'd be read ahead. So if you look ahead of this morning's scripture reading, as Jesus is nearing Jerusalem, he's hungry and he's, he's a fig tree and the fig tree is not uh, bearing any fruit. And so Jesus curses it, curses it uh, before entering the temple and entering the city where the chief priests and the temple elders and others have been waiting for Jesus to return. All right, so we know in the Gospels at this point in the ministry of Jesus, uh, the Pharisees and the temple elders, if you'll go and read through the Gospels, uh, throughout the entire Gospel, they've been trying to find ways to trap Jesus. They've been trying to find ways to, to figure out a way that they can arrest Jesus without upsetting the crowd, without causing a, a scene, without causing an uproar or a riot that is going to draw the attention of Rome. And so they've done this throughout the gospel, and I would like to think that they've also been doing that this entire night before. You know, the day before, Jesus has come into the temple, and he's, he's called it a den of thieves, and he's called them robbers, and he's overturned the tables, and he has gone and, and upset everything. And throughout the night, I have to believe that the chief priests and Pharisees and others who are there at the temple are trying to figure out how they're going to stop this man. Because they anticipated his return. They knew that he would be back. If there's one thing that we can see time and time again in the Gospels is that whenever Jesus went to Jerusalem, one of the places he went was the temple. He went to the temple to teach. He went to the temple to worship. He went to the temple to offer sacrifice. And so I think it is safe to say, or it is safe for us to assume, that they knew that he would be returning. And so their plan is to question Jesus in order to get him to answer in such a way that when he answers, he can be accused of speaking against God. And so they ask Jesus the question, what kind of authority do you have to do these things? 
Who gave you this authority? What kind of authority do you have and who gave you this authority? They're really not messing around, are they? They aren't dancing around asking him this question in a roundabout way. And what they're doing is they're wanting an answer now. But instead of an answer, if we read and continue reading, Jesus turns it around by asking them his own question, saying, I have a question for you. If you tell me the answer, I'll tell you what kind of authority I have to do these things. And so his question for them is, where did John get the authority to do these things? Or to get the authority to baptize? Did he get it from heaven or from humans? So what Jesus is asking them is, where did John the Baptist get the authority to take people into the River Jordan and to baptize them for the forgiveness, or for the forgiveness of sins? He's saying, did the people give him that authority? Or has God himself given John that authority? Right, so here's where I picture it, is the chief priests and temple elders all gather in a huddle. And they've gathered to discuss Jesus' question, and I think as they're discussing it, they are recognizing that if they answer in either way, Jesus has them. If it was John the Baptist, and if they said it was of heaven, then they're acknowledging that, that John was, was doing something and, and offering more than they themselves even recognized, and that if they're saying that Job, John the Baptist's um, uh, power or, or authority came from heaven, then they can also, Jesus in the same vein, can say, well, that is get where I get my power, my authority is, comes from heaven as well. See, the opposite they also say, though, is if we say from humans... The people are going to be upset because John had a large following. John had a large uh, group of people that had been baptized by him. Wherever he went, wherever he taught, wherever he preached, people were gathering to listen and to hear and to see and to witness. And so what did they choose to do? They choose to, to offer the answer that is, I think, most of our favorite answer. I don't know. And so what did Jesus say to them? He said, well, if you don't know, then I'm not going to answer your question either. And then he went into this parable of two sons. A father came to the first son and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. No, I don't want to, he replied, but later he changed his mind and went. The father said to the same thing to the other son who replied, yes, sir, but didn't go. And then Jesus said, which of the two did his father's will? And the, they said, the first one. And then here's where Jesus started to really, um, I guess, cause tension between his discussion with those he was talking to. When he said, I assure you, tax collectors, prostitutes are entering God's kingdom ahead of you. For John came to you on the righteous road, and you didn't believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. Yet even after you saw this, you didn't change your hearts, and you didn't believe him. And so what's Jesus saying to them? What's he saying to us about this parable? I don't know about you, but I think this is one of those parables when we read it of Jesus that it causes some friction between us and him. It causes some tension in the way that we, we choose to, to listen, but also in the way that, that we ourselves are, are following Jesus in our own faith. I think it provides some friction because Jesus, tell, because, uh, Jesus tells us that our entering the kingdom of God is dependent on our response to the divine action 
and to the authority of God in our life. And so for the chief priests, what Jesus is saying to them is he's saying, God is here, God is working, God is is present, and you're not paying attention. And so what does he tell them? He says, there are others that you deem sinful that are sinful, that are going to hear the word of God, they're going to change their hearts, they're going to change their lives, and they're going to get into heaven before you do. Because they are like the first son who said no, but whose heart was changed, and later he said yes. And then he says to them, or, or he offers them without saying it, you know, but, but the, the Pharisees and the tax collectors had to know what he was saying when he was saying, there was the second son who said, yes, Lord, use me. Yes, Lord, change my life. Yes, Lord, lead me. And instead of getting up and doing or acting or moving or, or whatever it was or is, he just sat there on the bench. See, I think it provides friction or tension with us because we want to be a people who respond, but we also want to be a people who, who feel like, like, like we're who Jesus wants us to be. And so when he says to the Pharisees and to the temple elders and to the chief priests that, that the kingdom of God is going to be first open to those that, that they would consider on the outside, well, I mean, there's friction for us because I think we forget as followers of Jesus, as followers of a faith that is extended now for, for over 2,000 years, although it is active and it is alive and the Holy Spirit works and lives are changed and, and our hearts are transformed and, and we can say that we don't do it in vain and that it fills us and, and gives us God's grace and everything else, but there's friction because we forget that Jesus was an outsider. When it came to entering Jerusalem, and especially when it came to him offering his teachings and offering his, his message and, and him declaring his authority in places like the synagogues and in the temple. I mean, look who he associated himself with. The disciples were nothing but a ragtag group of followers. You know, Judas was um, an Idumean. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. Most of the other disciples were fishermen. You know, all of them were people that, that came from families that, you know, they would have worked every day for their livelihood and for their well-being. Uh, most of them were from the Sea of Galilee, which we read and which we see in, in other portions of the gospel where people, you know, scorn or mock, oh, well, they're from Galilee, like it's a backwood region. The disciples were not this perfect group of people. And then if you go even further and look at the crowds that followed Jesus, they were certainly not the cream of the crop. They were working class people. They were people that they were individuals. They were sinners. They were prostitutes. They were tax collectors. They were lepers. They were Roman soldiers. They were craftsmen and women. They were people that, that worked for a living. They were people that, that went day to day and fished and did all of these other things. And they're people that heard the message of grace and that heard the message of hope and that saw something in Jesus and they wanted to have their lives transformed and changed. And so they did. And they chose to interact with him, and they chose to interact with him not from a position of power and authority, 
but from a position of grace and a position of hope and from a position of mercy. I think it causes friction for us because we forget that Jesus' ministry was not centered in the, temp- in the temple. It was not centered in this place of power and of prestige. It was not centered in this place where all came and, and listened to Caiaphas, the high priest, and Annas, his father-in-law, who had been the high priest, and then listened to this man named Jesus, who was this new teacher that they were giving a position for uh, him to teach and to preach and to lead. No, Jesus was something different than that. Jesus' teaching happened on the mountains and on the hills and on the steps of the Temple Mount and on um, the streets of Bethany and of other places in and through the the Galilee and Jerusalem. See, his ministry happened on the outside. And it makes it easy for us to forget that the great invitation that we have extended and been extended to us to follow me happens everywhere we are. See, I think in the church it's easy for us to forget this radical and new message that Jesus offers us. Because it's one that he's challenging the Pharisees and chief priests and temple elders not just to grow in their own faith, but he's saying you have to grow in your faith so that you can give it to others. It's easy for us to forget that that the reason that we grow in our faith is so that we can take it outside the walls of our homes, of our church, outside our normal circles, so that we can offer this gift of grace that has changed our lives to others as well. Friends, this parable of Jesus is one that I think invites us to say, first, where am I? Then also to say, what is God calling me to do? I don't think it's one that that I can say, well, here's what you need to do in an A, B, C, or D. But I think it's one that causes all of us to say, how am I living as a child of God? And how am I living in such a way that when the kingdom of God is opened... I'll be invited, I'll be welcomed in, and I'll be celebrated along with all of those that Jesus lists, whether it's tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. Because all have heard the gift of grace, all have received the gift of grace, and all whose lives have been transformed and changed not by our work, but by the offering that God has given each of us. Amen.